Isla, any notes from you before we like start recording? No, I'm excited to talk about it all. Cool. Um, and so is it, is it weird if I bring up Will Smith and Hitch? You're listening to People Not Things, a podcast that inspires entrepreneurs, marketers, and creatives to explore how people are the critical connection of our work and ask why we often take them for granted. My name is Max Kirchhoff, and I host this podcast with my business partner, Isla Murray. Our business, Llama 6, is best known for our bold visual identity work, innovative marketing campaigns, and our commitment to collaboration and critical thinking. We're sitting down with entrepreneurs, creatives, marketers, artists, and others to talk about their passion, their process, and how they stay focused on the people and relationships that matter. Welcome to People Not Things, our podcast by Llama 6. Today we have our friend Lily Womble, who's also the founder of Date Brazen. Date Brazen is pretty amazing. It's helping people transform dating from a soul-sucking act to self-care. I love that statement. So Lily, hi and welcome. Hello. Hello. We're so happy to have you here. Um, How about you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and about Date Brazen? Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much for having me. Date Brazen uh, is a company that I founded after years of being a professional matchmaker. So I was a matchmaker at a national firm, um, got really good at it. I I sort of randomly landed in the dating space. Um, uh, I, I originally was in this like women and girls advocacy nonprofit space. And so, um, you know, when this matchmaking job came up, I thought, you know, this is weird. I'll give it a try. It'll be a funny story one day. And it ended up that matchmaking was a great opportunity for me to work with women at this really vulnerable moment in their journey where mm. they were asked where they needed help and um, they were looking for solutions to a problem they were facing. Um, so I, I liked matchmaking, got really good at it. And after a couple of years of being full-time in that role, I was realizing a couple things. Um, one that matchmaking wasn't addressing the deeper issues that people were facing in their dating lives. And that only about 5% of matchmaking clients, uh, were finding long-term love. And hmm. so people would pay 5%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's my calculation yeah, from yeah. The, the hundreds of uh, clients that I worked with and then saw working with other matchmakers. And that was yeah. across the board, not just, you know, and I, I, I was the third, you know, I'm using air quotes, third most successful matchmaker at that firm um, out of 160. Like it's a whole world matchmaking. Like the only yeah. thing, like I only... Like, to me, it's like such a romantic idea, you know, it's like something from books and movies and like hitched. <laughs> um, and I love that. I love that you were saying hitch is hitch a romantic a separate, movie. No, I don't even know. I just like, yes. that's like when I heard about that, we were going to chat, like, I just like couldn't stop thinking about that movie, which is ridiculous. Well, but, um, it's yeah, not go- ridiculous because hitch is doing in that movie, you know, Will Smith is doing what I now do. So oh, matchmaking, cool. he's not actually, if you'll remember, right, he's not actually <laughs> matchmaking people. He's working with clients to help them find the confidence and the skills and the tactical tools necessary yeah. so that they can 
recognize the love that they want and go out and find it. Yeah. And it was like the nice version. Isn't there like a gross matchmaker that's out there that's a man who like, it's all about making women feel like- In the movie or in real life? No, no, no. In real life. I yeah. Think. It's all like about... the pickup artist. And there's yeah, a, there's a few people guy. like that. Yeah. Um, so it's like you, the anti-pickup artist. You, YouTube people and things like that. So yeah. just, just so we're clear to kind of go back on this. So basically you're saying, Lily, you are, you are Hitch from the movie, 2005 hit movie. Hitch. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I am the female hitch and um, uh, I help people find love on their own terms. Awesome. Uh, now, yeah. So I broke up with, just want to be also clear, I broke up with matchmaking after I realized that it wasn't the long-term solution that I wanted for my clients, right? I want people to feel like they are confident in themselves, that they mm. have knowledge of what they're looking for and what that looks like online yeah. and in the real world. Uh, and I also want women and and men, people in general, to have the tools to get over their limiting beliefs about themselves, their oh desirability, and their worthiness. So that's why I started um, experimenting with date coaching. And when I was experimenting with date coaching, the cool thing happened, the cool thing that happened with my matchmaking clients is that they started to find better dates for themselves than I or any matchmaker could find for them. So it sort of became this magical thing that unlocked people's uh, ability to be their own expert matchmaker. Uh, So I broke up with matchmaking and started Date Brazen and have been working with hundreds of women around the country and worlds ever since. That's so cool. That's so interesting to hear. What were you going to say, Ella? Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, I totally relate to that. Like, I remember when I was like dating, like online dating, and it was like a felt like a full-time job and I hated it, but I also was feeling like really insecure about myself. So probably Mm -hmm. didn't even know what I was looking for and Mm -hmm. just wanted approval. And I'm sure you find that with a lot of people. And it wasn't until I was like, eh, I'm actually okay, you know, with with myself. And it sounds so cliche to be like, as soon as you stop looking, it it comes (laughs) along. I was still looking, but I just like didn't really care as much. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, I I hate the phrase, it happens when you least expect it, like barf. Oh, I was going to say, let's chat about uh, the Brazen Breakthrough. Like, I'd love to sort of walk through the sorts of things that you offer and really not to like, not to just make this a big commercial about your service necessarily, but like, I'm really interested in sort of the like person to person connection. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of what you're talking about, you know, we, we are obsessed us llama six you know people not things we're obsessed with people in relationships that's the whole point of this podcast um and i think like the technology solution to things often that we get obsessed with nowadays is like let's build an app that does this thing for us and i think kind of what you're saying is is like no 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 no. the you know to actually draw on something very cliched it's like the answer to a better connection is inside of you like it's like sure Hmm. it's changing the way you think and look at things and stuff like that and how we think about our own relationships and ourselves um, so yeah. I'd love to chat about that, like the Brazen Breakthrough, which I'm guessing that's part of what that is. Uh, yeah. And just so we're clear, uh, DateBrazen.com is your website for Date yes. Brazen. And there is a wonderful photograph on the Brazen Breakthrough page <laughs> that's like a woman celebrating in confetti. So I'd love to sort of chat about that because I, wanna, I want what, whatever she's having. And that woman is a me. <laughs> Get yourself to the website just to see my confetti photo shoot. No, um... I, so um, through years of being a matchmaker and then transitioning into a dating coach, I I really wanted to provide um, a a coaching experience for my clients that was both reflective and tactical, uh, that provided them the tools and systems that they needed to become their own expert matchmaker. And so I 
I, I've been experimenting with like what works. And after years of doing this, I've found that three months is the perfect amount of time to work with people to help them transform their dating lives. And so the Brazen Breakthrough is my coaching experience. And it takes you through, in month one, I tell everybody to delete all of the dating apps off their phone, like do not be dating. And uh, mm. this is usually oh, wow. when, pe when clients are like, wait, you're my dating coach and you're telling me to not date? That doesn't make any sense. Uh, and when you <laughs> allow yourself, when you free yourself, really, from dating apps and from the expectation to be swiping, always be swiping and always be messaging, when you free yourself from that expectation, I think you allow a different part of your brain to sort of open up and relax yeah. um, because so many people are so caught up in, it's a numbers game, right? I have yeah. to keep going out there to meet somebody like, I I'm not making progress if I'm not going on this many dates per month. And what I've found in practice and in the research that I've done is that the numbers game myth only ensures that you will be burnt out, frustrated, and, yeah. and discouraged in your dating life. Um, mm. So the first month is really about like popping out of that numbers game myth and really coming into your own understanding of what progress would look like in your dating life, right? So yeah. we do one-on-one -on -one sessions and group coaching um, with the fabulous cool. women around the country. It's awesome and so fun. Uh, and we have experts come in once a month to do fireside chats. Max, your, your wife, um, Megan Saxelby is an expert that's coming in soon. Um, cool. yes. And, uh, so the first month we're talking about past relationships, like taking inventory, looking at your preferences, doing a deep dive into what you want, what it looks like, why you want that thing. Are there any preferences that you've inherited from your parents who told you you should want this thing or from your coworker who told you you should want this thing? Um, and well, I also that's wanna, so yeah, interesting. Yeah. Sorry, I hate to interrupt, but Jump are in. you telling me that the history of ourselves and our relationships somehow defines like what we're looking for now? And that that's important to know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yes. Um, yeah. Sorry. I, I'm being a little sarcastic. It is, it is like one of the funny, it's one of the things I'm obsessed with recently, given our like political climate and other things that are going on that I, in my own mind, that my like fifth grade history teacher said, you know, like we have to make sure we understand history so we don't repeat the past. And it's one of those things that I think I held on to for a very long time and thought everybody else did. And I'm coming to find out that no, nobody else really did. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and like looking at the history. And so thinking about relationships here, like not to get into the, like I said, the political or social component, but thinking about relationships, that that is super interesting because I'm reflecting on my own self. And it's like, I, how infrequently I would think about why relationships went bad or like why I didn't connect with people and then would just recreate the same situations over and over with similar people. Um, yeah. And how cool that is that you walk folks through that because even just understanding your own personal history, right. Or like you're saying, like your, your family history and like, what are I'm the surprised that only takes a month, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good thing about the, what I love about how I've positioned this program, yeah. this experience is that you have to be working with a therapist to work with me. Yeah. And so I, and, or you have to have done intensive therapy in the past. Right. Um, 
because I'm not a licensed therapist and I, I love that I'm not a licensed therapist because I like what I do. And, um, uh, and also we're getting into deep stuff and there needs to be a time for you to take these worksheets that I'm giving you and take them to your therapist and say, here's what uh, all the work I just did with my dating coach on my past relationships. Like, let's talk deeper about all of it. Right. So, um, yeah. uh, yeah. And some of the, um, I have a relationship reflection guide, which is one of those core worksheets as a freebie on my website. You can find that at daybrazen.com. And the questions that I ask are like, how are you supported? How are you not supported? Yeah. What's one word that you would use to characterize each of those past relationships? And then what did you learn about yourself and your preferences as a result of that relationship? Mm. Um, so that's month one. Yeah. What, what do you find if you if you if you have something that sticks out in your in your mind, like in that first month when you sort of are reviewing, you know, reviewing people's history, talking through, you know, the things, and like you said, you're having you're hopefully they're involved in therapy in some sort or have been in the past. Like, are there are there um, very common things that come up, like like issues, like how people see themselves, how they see relationships, or anything like that? Is there, is there any like big topics that stick out? Because even when I'm thinking through this, like I'm like, oh yeah, for sure, like. I, I'm obviously like I'm I'm a man, so it's a probably a different experience than uh, women in our society or, or like non-binary folks or anyone else because like the social construct of who I am is sort of different. Yes. But um, yeah, is there stuff that sticks out? I know for me, there definitely are themes. <laughs> but yeah. do you see what any? are your what are the, your themes, Max? <laughs> I mean, that's a whole longer conversation. That's another but um, yeah, like me personally, I'll share this because I'm very comfortable with this and Isla knows this is like, I'm deeply emotional. Um, and in our society that is construed as like non-masculine many times, at least when you follow like a more toxic model model of like masculinity. And like, I would date people who um, would uh, treat me with hostility when I was being emotional and like basically kind of give you know give me the whole like why are, you know you're being weak you're not like a tough man if you cry or if you like take things personally or if you you know have an emotional uh side and that was like a theme throughout my relationships actually until I met my, my wife um and it's something I never noticed and it's a topic that I had when I talk to other men especially other men who have a similar experience to me they run into that a lot um, and it's, I think for some, when they're like teenagers, they get taught to push that down and like never think about it again. Um, and they express their emotion in really negative antisocial ways. Um, but yeah, so like for me, that would be a theme if we were to talk about history is like, oh, I, you know, I have these, uh, relationships where I sort of people have treated me like, uh, almost abusively about my emotional presence. Wow. Well, that's and, like a real deep would, share. Sorry. <laughs> that's a very, a great emotional disclosure. Um, <laughs> Uh, disclosure. I, I would say that that's a perfect representation of a story that was created from your experiences as a, a child into young adulthood, right? And our our experiences, yeah. I believe, then craft. And this isn't my, you know, my idea, right? There are so <laughs> many thought leaders on who who um, discuss this process of how we come to believe what we believe about mm. ourselves and the world. And that comes from experiences. So you had an experience of, of being othered because of your, your emotions. And then that experience led to you then expressing that story by choosing people who reaffirmed that story. Huh, right. Yeah. And for, for myself, um, I, I, so, so I will point to a theme that I see again and again in my, in my practice of coaching through my own experience, not to, so I don't share uh, yeah, other yeah. clients' experience, though we all have 
pretty similar stories, you know. Um, my story growing up was that I was like, quote, too much, right? I'm, I'm really, um, I love being bossy. I love telling people what to do. I've loved it since I was a tiny baby. Who doesn't? Um, who doesn't, <laughs> for sure. I mean, I started my first, co- you know, quote, company when I was in first grade, like a recycling club because I was rejected Aww. from the playground. And I was like, I'm going to show them by becoming a leader, you know? Um, so I was told like as a young, as a young kid, you're too much, you're too precocious, you're too, um, you know, intense, loud, whatever. And then as that belief started to develop from with the, you know, my parents reinforced it, although they love me and they're great parents, they, they made choices that sort of reinforced that story within me that I was too much. And as a young adult, I ended up choosing a, a high school boyfriend who ended up, you know, breaking up with me saying yeah. I was too much. Yeah. Um, and then my, my adult romantic relationships then followed that same pattern. I chose people who thought I was too much and who thought that my quote, too muchness disqualified me from a relationship with them. Wow. So then I felt like, yeah, I felt like my too muchness was disqualifying me from any healthy relationship. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, that has got to, that is tough. Like, and I, I, it's funny, I also feel you on the too muchness. And I know being a man, it's a little different because it's like more socially acceptable. But yeah, I definitely was also in relationships where like people felt like I was competing with them yeah. for others' attention and things like that. And that was really hard. I can only imagine though, like, yeah, that, that sounds really tough. That's so interesting though, how that's informed, I think, like the way you share your experience now with your clients. And I think the process of like month one, get leading into mm. month two is about how are we going to proactively rescript? How yeah. are we going to like blaze a new neural pathway for you? Because my neural pathway of I'm too much, I'm not worthy of love was so deeply ingrained into my psyche and my mode of belief that I had to do a lot of internal work on that. And the rescript that I came up with was if I'm too much, then you're not enough. Oh, wow. Um, and that was actually an ad on the subway y'all. Or there's that like Beyonce meme too. Like if you don't, if you can't handle me at like, yes. Yeah. So cliche. And it was a process of like retraining myself to, believe that what is meant for me will not pass me by. Yeah. Right? That I'm for. It's I scary. Think it's, yeah. It's so scary, Isla. Yeah. It's so scary. No, I feel like a lot of um, women too, it's like for us as well, there's like a lot of time pressure. Like it feels like like the biological clock is ticking or whatever. And it's like as much as you don't want that to be an anxiety, it like definitely piles on. I've noticed in um, but yeah, yeah, so what, so how do you find that like once your clients are empowered with this like new understanding of themselves and they're trying to like rewrite these scripts and not repeat right. patterns, like how does it change their dating behavior? Like, like what do they do with this knowledge? Yeah. Then we go month to, oh, and I also want to circle back to the biological clock thing. Oh yeah, that's, totally. That's so intense and heavy. And a lot of my clients are in their late thirties, early Mm forties. And so they're struggling with, I want a family and I want a family with a partner. And I don't know if that's going to happen for me. That's so tough. And, and, um, that's where matchmaking sounds really appealing for people, right? Because they think I've not been able to do it on my own. Maybe somebody else can choose better for me when in actuality, like you are your best advocate, you are your Mm. best picker 
And so, you know, that's where therapy comes in, I think. And that's where uh, this, you know, internal reflective work comes in also of yeah. uh, what are the stories that you have about being your age and not having a family? Like, what are the judgments that you're yeah. making of yourself? What are the mm. in- judgments you're internalizing from friends and family who might not support where you are in your life right now? That's not stuff that I can wrap up in a bow. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And that impulse to, to just have someone going back to the matchmaking solution, right? It's, it's funny how we feed that impulse, I think, uh, in our like consumer society where to, to solve any problem by just like, uh, saying like, if I pay enough, then somebody can solve it for me. But it's like, that's not really like that works for like your lawn and cleaning your house and like getting a meal maybe, but like for any like real thing, like something that you're going to be invested in and committed to, and it's a big part of your life. It's like in the same way that you can't send somebody off to therapy for you, you know, or you can't like go to get, get put under an anesthesia and then wake up and you're like, I am now psychologically healed. Like I'm, you know, everything is fine. It's like, you, you're not gonna, I understand the impulse. It's, it's like, and, and like, I don't make this connection lately. I'm not trying to like, um, um, I'm not going to say uh, dating or picking a partner or like having a family is, is anything like branding. It's not quite, it's not, those are just operate on different levels, but it's really interesting because I think when we start talking about like branding and like when someone talks about starting a company, they often are like, I just want to pay someone to give me a name and give me a brand and give me a product and give me all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, but if you don't believe in it and you didn't, it, the ideas didn't come out of you, then like how committed are you to those ideas? And in the same way, I'm sure it's like in a relationship, if you're just pay somebody to put you in a relationship, when it gets hard, you're not going to be like, wow, I'm invested and I'm in his. You're going to be like, well, they were wrong. Uh, it turns out and I can just exit now. In but- matchmaking and with, and with dating apps that you have to pay for, right? Yeah. Like match.com, like yeah. eHarmony, like, and, and by the way, I've known people that have met partners on every one of these dating sites. I, I'm agnostic to all of them. Yeah. Um, if not hostile towards some of them. Um, <laughs> and I think that you're paying for what people perceive they're paying for is access yeah. mm-hmm. to a quote, higher quality pool of people. It's um, also the monetization, not to go too deep into that, but like the way they monet the, the dating has been monetized is very strange. I think like in a way where we could like, we could talk critically about it. We could talk about like the knock on effects of it. But I also just think from like the perspective of somebody who like it is trying to help, help people or like have a platform. It is strange the way monetization has happened because it's not, it quality is not what happens. Right. It's like, it's like you're saying it's access we're selling yeah. access. It's like VIP passes. It's not like you get a meet and greet with the band, if that makes sense. Like yeah. You're just getting closer to the stage. And that's like a strange way to monetize it um, mm-hmm. inherently. And I, it's probably like to think- Why is that strange? Well, it's, it's just because like that's like, like Lily was saying, it's like we're looking for relationships. We're actually looking for quality. And so like- Oh, get, yeah get to those moments to understand who somebody is quicker, I think, but that doesn't actually do it. Like being further up in the same line as everybody else doesn't actually make that better. Um, And the whole point of what I'm saying though, is it's funny because if if I really think about it, part of that's probably just because people are taking other monetization models and applying them to dating, not even thinking about it. And so it's, it's just like anything else, right? It's like, uh, like I said, maybe they're looking at like Ticketmaster for how to like have a pricing model around a dating app, which is a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, and it's so it's so complicated, and I think it's such a worthy topic, which is why I I just want to rest here for just a second. Um, the other day, like four days ago, Bloomberg came out with an article about Bumble and its founder Whitney Wolf. Did you guys yeah. read this? No, no. Um, it's very interesting, and the title is something like "For Bumble, the future isn't female; it's female marketing." Mm. Yeah. And this writer followed, you know, was like, had via, had very high access, high level of access to Whitney and was traveling with her. And, um, and you know, Bumble is perceived or the marketing is uh, leading consumers to believe that it's like a, an app that's advocating for the safety of women, that it's advocating yeah, for totally. women's empowerment. And this article is sort of shedding light on the fact that Bumble hasn't changed anything. It's created, but it, and it's created a perception of safety, um, yeah. not actual safety. It's created a perception of empowerment, not actual empowerment. And I think that's Oof. you know just one small example of yeah. how dating apps are using marketing to manipulate users. Yeah, it's such that mar- their marketing is so it's so like almost feminist in the way yeah. that they do like their out of home ads and everything. It's I don't think almost, I think very yeah. forwardly. Yeah. Feminist. And in, in my experience dating and in my client's experience dating on Bumble, their results on Bumble does not reflect the, the, you know, the mission that I think Bumble wants to embody. Um, yeah. Just like I mean- any other platform. It's, it, I mean, if we really get down to the brass tacks, and I, I'd love to go back to talking about your breakthrough in a second here. But oh my like, God, we can talk about whatever. But, but if we get down to the brass tacks, right, of, of, of an app, like what is an app? And like, what is Facebook? And what is, you know, um, any of the match apps or Bumble or whatever? When we really get down to it, like none of it controls for the p- contents of the people. Like right. the, like who is there and who they are and how they think right. about themselves and how they think about others, which is like the thing we're talking about when we talk right. about dating. Well, I think that the only two reasons to sort of bring it back yeah. a little bit, uh, the only two reasons from my perspective to use a dating app are to meet somebody outside of your social circle. Like it is the fastest, yeah. easiest way at your disposal to meet someone outside of your social circle, which is something that a lot of people desire because they feel like their social circles tapped out and they don't know, like their friends don't have people to introduce them to, right? Meet somebody. Second reason is to get to know your dating personality. And what I mean by that is what are you looking for, yeah. right? Like, what does that look like? How can you set boundaries? Where do you feel like your barriers are to the number of minutes that you can use this app before becoming overwhelmed? Like, how can you, how can you use this app to your advantage and learn yeah. about yourself in the process? That's basically what month two is about. Um, so we create we revamp, you know, people's dating. I revamp uh, people's dating profiles with their deeper knowledge of self, with their preferences in mind, so that they can start to shine authentically and create a profile that then qualifies the right dates and disqualifies the wrong ones. And then from there, how do you create questions based on your preferences that qualify the right people and disqualify the wrong ones? Because that dating app ultimately is not working for you. You have to find a way to advocate for yourself on a dating app in the way that you use it. So, um, so I'm, I'm right on board with this conversation. I also wanted to offer that practical sort of like, uh, solution. Cause I think so many, I mean, 
is this like another conversation about how dating apps suck? You know, people are talking about it all the time. I think there is a practical solve. Yeah. Um, which is why I'm so excited about these conversations. Well, what's so interesting kind of springboarding on that is like, like I was saying, Isla and I both met uh, people on Tinder. And I think probably the differentiator, if you were to really break it down, I know this is true of me and I don't know about Isla because I, I don't think I ever saw Isla's profile or how she interacted with people. But like, there's a reason that I'm good at marketing. And there's a reason I was good at being on Tinder. And it's, and it's, it's not, I was never lying to anybody or anything, but it's because I think the sort like you're talking about those qualifying questions, like the way you have an interaction. It's like, I, I think I inherently because of marketing understood how to like really break through um, and like ask the right questions to know who, what that person was about that's outside of their bio or their pics or something like that. And I also knew how to present myself in a way that, kind of gave you a better understanding of who I was uh, yeah. and disqualified me from them for some people. So like we were saying, going back to my own like hang up about my emotionality is like I wrote stuff in there that was like would be construed as like not the most masculine thing, which in dating in Brooklyn, which is where I was doing it uh, and in New York, uh, weakness and like femininity for a man is uh, really not what a lot of women want. Um, mm -hmm. And that was very clear very quickly. Um, and it disqualified me in a really good way. Um, so I could see right away like, oh, this person wants a like go-getter Wall Street dude. And that is not me. <laughs> yeah. Well, Max, you're for the few, not for the many, right? <laughs> like the, the whole you have to be for everybody. You have to throw all the spaghetti oh, yeah. against the wall is the numbers game. Yeah, cool. yeah, absolutely. Um, so and you, that's, you did it right. that's like never a marketing strategy anyone should take. Right. for a business, the, let alone for yourself. Golden, yeah. It's the yeah. Seth Godin minimum viable audience. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So I, that's how I like came up with the phrase you're for the few, not for the many is like listening to Seth Godin talk about how we should be marketing our businesses yeah. um, to the smallest amount of people that are possible for you. Um, and who resonate with your message. And yeah. that's what I recommend people do in their dating lives. That's so sure. cool. I think we talked about Seth, we've talked about it previously. For those who aren't familiar with Seth Godin, uh, great, he has a great blog, writes in it every day, I think, um, which is like his commitment. It's called Seth.blog. Uh, and a, a number of really good books. Purple Cow is a big one people read. Um, but This Is Marketing is like a real collection of his thoughts. Um, and it's cool that you really tapped in on that and like minimum viable audience. And to make that even translate, I think a little bit more of that is he talks a lot about super fans um, when you talk about marketing. And it's like, he, when he talks about it in marketing for a business, it's like develop re really tight relationships with these like first super fans where like what your, what your product is, your service or whatever, perfectly aligns with what they need. And because those people will always be your like biggest marketers outside, they'll be your biggest salespeople because they'll be so excited about what you're doing. And like a analogy for people is like Apple fanboys. It's like fanboys and fangirls, your partner, like the real candidates for a relationship are like super fans. Yeah. They're like the people who are like, Oh, I'm ride or die. This person, like they're a rad person. And that's, that's how cool is that? Like to have a person like that in your life? Yes, 100%. So, uh, so you're talking through month two, right? You're talking about yeah. questions, uh, qualifying, disqualifying. So month two, we're doing the dating profile. We're doing the qualifying, disqualifying. And then month three, people put it into practice. So they have like very specific boundaries that they, that we come up with together based on their needs as a person. We come up with the one dating app that will be best utilized by them and their personality. So I recommend one dating app, not five, not three, not two. Hmm. Um, yeah, just one, because if you dip your 
you know, feet into too many pools, you're going to get staph infection. Like that's the gross <laughs> I use. Um, so, uh, and we have a date feedback system. So clients are, are checking in with themselves after every single date to gauge their intuitive, like thoughts and feelings about what they thought and what, why they thought those things. Are you doing like a numbers game of dating in the third month or are you really doing like quality over quantity? Quality over so, quantity. Like yes. what kind of like how many dates would you, it's probably the wrong question to ask. So how many dates do you reckon is a good amount? Um, I think it depends on your on schedule the, yeah. and on your, yeah, yeah, your yeah. like self-care journey, right? Um, yeah. I'd say that to set a goal, like I need to go on one date a month, one date a week for four weeks and where yeah. I'm not making progress. Like I don't care about that goal. Yeah. Um, I think that I recommend 15 minutes a day, 15 to 20 minutes a day, maximum on a dating app, no notifications. Uh, and, uh, you know, set a cutoff point for your messaging. So you're not wasting your time with people that don't have intention of going out. 33% of dating app users will never go on a date huh. from that resource. Holy moly. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to measure, you got to, you got to figure that in to your strategy and then know when your cutoff point is and know when, if you're going to ask them out, ask them out, or when you're going to bless and release a match, bless and release. So that could lead to two dates in a week that could lead to one date in a month. Yeah. I just want the pool of your dating life to feel like fresh water always. Do you know what I'm saying? That's like, yeah, that makes sense. That time limit makes so much sense. And yeah, I think I made that mistake. Uh, <laughs> Well, it's addictive for a reason. Yeah, right. It's variable reward, um, really triggering all the brain chemistry. Mm -hmm. um, that's so funny. Yeah, because in New York, it's like, I mean, you could just swipe for the rest of your life probably. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the, <laughs> the feedback that you hear from people who are dating on the apps in New York is like, there's just so many options out there that like people will go out and then not follow up because they're like on to the next yeah. 5 million people Yikes. I'm swiping yeah. through. It's it's the cognitive overload thing yeah. that's happening right now. So um, more than nine options and our brain becomes overloaded and, or more mm. than, yeah, becomes overloaded and our higher functioning shuts down. So I think that's a, you know, a large reason that we're seeing so much ghosting and so much bad behavior and so much yeah. like, you know, no exploration of the person in front of you because of that cognitive overload. Yeah, for sure. Is, are the aesthetic parts like, um, I, I mean, I think it's funny uh, recognizing my own experience as a man and like the sort of social construct of, of, of being a man. It's like, I think men generally uh, are more visual uh, when uh -huh. they date. And I've, I've read supporting evidence around that, that I'm not going to source right now. Cause I'm, I don't remember things like that, but um, do you find that also to be the case? Like with this, like, do you, do you have that like, like sort of mo the come to Jesus moment as it were with some people where you're like, look, you're looking for this like super hot dude who's also deeply emotionally connected, who's also like a millionaire and like that person doesn't exist. Like yeah. So you're asking about the tough love piece, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the way that I do that is very like anti, not the way that Patty Sanger Stanger did it in her yeah. millionaire matchmaking show, millionaire matchmaking uh. show, um, where she was like, you're stupid. Like, you're, you're never going to get what you want. Like shut up, you know, shut up and get in the dress and then go on the date. You know, people um, don't respond well to that. Uh, surprisingly, <laughs> surprisingly. So, uh, what it looks like. Okay. I'll give you yeah. an example from real life. I had a client who said, 
I really want a man who has a man bun. I really want a man bun. I want like <laughs> someone a man with long hair. I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at that person if they listen. That's just the most weirdest funny. Well, we, we got away from it, but I'll tell you how we did. So I was, and this was in a workshop setting. So we were. It's, hold on. I, I have, yes. hold on, hold on. I have yes, yes, yes. contextualizing questions. Here. Okay. 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 <laughs> please, please. Was it, was it qualities represented by the man bun or was it literally just a man bun? So good question. That was my question. It was oh, like, okay. okay, what does, and this is with any physical characteristics. Yeah, so when yeah. References I ask, right? Why do you want a man with a man bun? <laughs> well, Sorry. you know, it's like, uh, yeah. I want him because he is, um, you know, I, I think that man, men with like long hair are more emotionally connected. Right. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Why do yeah. you say that? Oh, well, they're more creative maybe, or they, they're more open-minded or they're yeah. more whatever, whatever. And then we sort of did exploration of that. And then I, I said, well, how is a man bun literally translating that for you? Or is it, we can come up with some questions for you that gauge that deeper yeah. desire. And so that's how we got away from, I need a man with a man bun. She was like, oh, I actually don't need someone with long hair. I was like, great. Now that's- your is a little wider. The parallels between what you do and what we do is so interesting to me. Oh, tell me more. Well, Isla can probably speak to this, but in, in, in our work, we would call that napkinning. And it's like when a client, you know, for designing a visual identity, they're like, I want a serif font and it's got to, we got to have this kind of blue. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. You're like describing a logo to us. And it's like, what do you want it to represent though? Like what, and yeah. they're, and what, what it is, right, is that they're trying to represent emotions or motivations or, like, thoughts, but yeah. they're using visual language and, like, cornering us into, like, just design this thing I've already thought of. Yeah. Um, which is so interesting because it, it's, like, the exact same problem that you're talking about, which is, like, the man bun, <laughs> the man bun, like, represents an idea, right, yeah. or, like, or qualities sure. in the same way that, like, with us, people, you know, you could say, like, I want it to be approachable and I want it to be like the audience is women and like this and you're like cool so it doesn't have to be millennial pink and like such and such typeface it's like there's other ways of doing that and there's yeah. other ways of seeing it that's so interesting to me um man maybe people just really have like the same problems represented in all these <laughs> different ways yeah for sure i think kind of to like wrap it up a little bit and like bring bring this to a close um it's so it's been so interesting seeing the connection i think between what you do and what we do um and and really hearing like i think your work is sort of amazing and and i i hope it like grows to become even more influential because yeah I, i wish i had it you know uh, when I was dating uh, in New York, because I went through some pretty pretty dark times, yeah. just like being on the apps and and going on dates with people and just feeling like almost like I was sliding into a depression because of it, um, not yeah. before it. I guess I just wanted to give you an opportunity, like if if there's sort of something you want to share with folks, people who'd be listening. If you want to sign up for those weekly pieces of dating advice that are really practical and tactical, uh, you can sign up for those emails at datebrazen.com. Uh, and I have that relationship reflection guide as a freebie on my website that you can um, get as well in your inbox um, to cool. do that deeper work. Yeah. And awesome. at date brazen is Instagram. I love taking to that resource and I don't know when this podcast is going to launch, but I am going on tour. So I live in New York. I do workshops in New York um, and I'll be 
uh, doing workshops in New York and New York uh, workshops in San Francisco and workshops in DC in the next three months. Um, Very cool. So, yeah, I would love to get in person with people and give them a hug and offer them some tactical and uh, tactical solutions to their dating problems. Generally, I would just say in terms of like my parting, my parting words is that sometimes when people say everything's going to be okay, mm. like, what's meant for you will not pass you by. Sometimes that feels really false because yeah. you're in the totally. Mess. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I, I hate that. I hate it when people are tr- try to be like optimistic and you're feeling like shit. Cause it's like, it doesn't feel like you're hearing me or empathizing with me. Like this right. sucks. Right. This sucks. What, what can I do now to make it not suck? Yeah. And so to that, I'd say I truly, so when I was in the muck of my messy middle of being in a toxic relationship and, and then, you know, being single and feeling so hopeless, a friend of mine who I really respect said, Lily, I know that what is meant for you will not pass you by. And it's okay if you don't believe that for yourself because I'll be believing it for you until you can hold that for yourself. And I, I truly ascribe to that. And now that's the gift that I get to hold that for my, the people that I work with and um, people that I get to come into contact with. It's like, it's okay if you don't believe that things that Mm. it's okay if you don't believe that what you want is going to happen. That's okay. It's heavy to believe that good things are coming your way sometimes. Um, but just know that I'm over here in Brooklyn, like believing it for you until you can believe it for yourself. And I want to also say that you have more agency than you currently realize, uh, over what you want to bring into your life. Um, and the messy middle is where the work is done. Honestly, like if you feel like you're in the messy middle of whatever you're going through, that's where the most transformative work happens. Thanks so much for joining us today, Lily, Thank and you. like sharing all of this and all these incredible connections. Uh, if folks want to look you up at statebrazen.com. You have a radical newsletter on there. Uh, look for some more awesome People Not Things podcasts coming your way. Yeah, thank you. Thank Bye. you. Thank you. Bye. Hey, this is Max, and I just had one more quick note. We talk about dating apps a bit in this episode, and we thought that we should really disclose that we work with Match Group on one of their apps called Ship. Uh, We do a bit of the marketing for them uh, on social and other things like that. I also wanted to say that the views and opinions we express about Match Group and their competitors, those are ours alone. Uh, They're not the views and opinions of Match Group or any of the lovely people we work with there. Find and subscribe to People Not Things wherever you listen to podcasts. Our music was created by Mary Blount. If you'd like to be on the podcast or have feedback about the podcast, please let us know at peoplenotthings.party. That's right, we don't have a .com, it was taken, so it's peoplenotthings.party. This podcast is a production of Llama 6, our creative studio. We focus on brand, visual identity, website design, and a whole lot more. We've worked with tiny early stage startups and giant brands. So if you're looking to take that next step with your marketing or creative work, let us know. We're there to help. Until next time.